Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A few weeks before Christmas, I found myself in a vast warehouse about 20 miles north of Dublin. It's at the very edge of the city. This building was enormous. It's actually so big, you can't really see from one end to the other. Apparently it's 200,000 square feet, which, to you or me, is two soccer pitches. From the outside, it's pretty nondescript. It was an old electronics factory which shut down around the year 2000, or maybe a few years after. But today, it's arguably one of the most important buildings when it comes to Irish history and archaeology. You see, a few years ago, it was procured by the National Museum of Ireland to store the millions of artefacts they've collected over the decades, but are not currently on display. Now, while this facility is not open to the public, in this podcast, I'm going to bring you inside to look at some of the remarkable artefacts they have stored there. My visit began after I met Nigel Monaghan, the keeper of natural history, and he had selected a few of the incredible artefacts they have stored in this warehouse. Now, I will explain exactly why I got to go into the building in a minute, but this clip gives you a sense of the building. Nigel had to swipe us through a few doors, then unlock gates that led to a corridor lined with cabinets. We're behind the scenes in the National Museum, which is an enormous holding of material. We've got about two million specimens just in the Natural History Department that live behind the scenes. I'll come back to Nigel in a minute, but before I continue, I want to introduce myself to new listeners and explain exactly how I got into this building. My name is Finn DeWire. This is the Irish History Podcast, and today's episode is Into the Vault, Behind the Scenes in the National Museum. Now, as I mentioned, the facility where a lot of the show is recorded is not open to the public. However, through last November and December, Damien Lawler and myself were busy planning the upcoming Irish History Summit in association with the National Museum. 
Now, heads up, the summit is on this Saturday, January the 15th. It's going to be great. I really loved organising it because the range of talks is way beyond what I normally cover. It's focused on leaving cert Irish history, so we have leading historians talking on a range of topics. So this year, we have things like the Nazis, the moon landing, as well as a host of presentations from Irish history, such as the Civil War, Countess Markovich, and post-independence Ireland. It's going to be great. What I really like about it is that it breaks down the barriers. So if you buy a ticket, whether you're a history fan, a Leaving Cert history student, or a teacher, you get access to leading Irish historians who normally spend their time in third-level universities. Now, I will explain more about the summit later on in the show, but you can find out more at irishhistorysummit.eventbrite.com. I have a link in the show notes below. Anyway, this year the summit was due to be broadcast from the National Museum in Collins Barracks. Now, due to COVID, the entire event has been moved online, but it was in one of the planning meetings that Terry and Charlie from the museum said they could arrange for me to see items related to the talks of the summit. Naturally, I jumped at the chance, but what I saw exceeded all expectations, to be honest. Now, this just gives you a flavour of what's coming up in the show. Now, this is what over 20 kilograms of meteorite looks like. And so we have here in this box a piece of moon rock with a little Irish flag. And the Irish flag has been to the moon and back. There is actually a photograph here of uh, the bodies of German soldiers stacked up in a trench and the remaining German soldiers doing the burying themselves. So you probably recognised Nigel Monaghan's voice there. Nigel is the curator of natural history, who you heard from at the start of the show, who brought me inside the huge warehouse in North County, Dublin. The other person is Brandon Malone, who we'll meet later on. But we'll start with Nigel. So we just head into the natural history area and uh, go and uh, look for the meteorite collections and the space material we've got. Now we've got rows and rows of cabinets and we have to use our electronic catalogues to find everything, but this is the cabinet of meteorites here. I arranged to meet Nigel because he was going to show me artefacts relating to the 1969 moon landing and space exploration. Leo Enright, the journalist and historian, is talking about this at the summit. Now, it's not something I'm very familiar with, and to be honest, I didn't think the National Museum of Ireland would have anything relating to space exploration or the moon landing. However, enough for the first time, I was far off the mark here. What Nigel showed me was incredible. Items that have been to the moon and back, and a meteorite that's 4,000 million years old. Some context here, the earliest dinosaurs only came along about 250 million years ago. Now, while all these dates are mind-blowing, what really hooked me, though, was that the meteor that I'm talking about there, that's 4,000 million years old, also has a recent history, one that began after it crashed to Earth. Now, Nigel showed me one of these meteorites, called the Brasky meteorite. In the meteorite collection of the National Museum, we have little pieces of rock that have fallen from space over a period of many centuries. That includes Irish ones as well. A lot of people don't realize that meteorites do fall randomly to Earth 
And every now and again, we just happen to be in the right place. We're oriented the right way. And a piece of space debris, usually from the asteroid belt, usually no bigger than your hand or your fist, occasionally as big as our largest one, which is bigger than a football. Um, they do arrive in Ireland, but they're very rare. Uh, we've got less than 10 occurrences over a period of 200 years. They are in the museum collections because they were seen to fall. Um, there's a lot of space debris falls to Earth and is never noticed. It's found later on. But nearly all of the ones in built-up areas of the world are what we call falls. And that's because somebody has to be out at night or sometimes during the day, see a fireball or hear a really loud bang, and then see a rock literally like it's at the end of the rainbow. It's the end of its journey through space. And if you are close by, you will see it actually thump into the ground. It will actually leave a small crater, fairly small. We're only talking a meter apart across or something for some of the pieces of rock we're looking at here. The biggest meteorite to fall in Ireland um, is the meteorite that fell near Adair in County Limerick in 1813. And the biggest lump, there were several lumps that landed. The biggest lump is called the Brasky Mass. And it came to the museum in the 1950s, a long time after it fell, because it was sitting on a sideboard in a kitchen and a member of the Land Commission was visiting a farmer and they started chatting and they realized and made the connection that this actually was that piece of rock that hadn't been seen for over a century. So let's get it out and have a look at the Brasky meteorite, the biggest meteorite to fall in Ireland. Now, now this is what over 20 kilograms of meteorite looks like. Nigel next lifted a rock out of the box. But as he lifted it out, it was obvious that it was made of something very heavy. I asked him what it was. All of the meteorites that have fallen in Ireland belong to one of the commoner categories of space debris. Um, they're basically called chondrites, which is after a Greek word meaning mustard seed. If you look at them under a microscope, or even with a good magnifying glass, you'll see lots of tiny little dots that are little balls of glass. And they're sort of a mist that has later coalesced in space and held together and under gravity has formed a solid lump of rock in a fairly large object that later broke apart. And these broken pieces have traveled through space, heading slowly towards the sun under gravity. And some of them intercept the flight path of the Earth around the sun. I'm sure you picked up by this point that I was well out of my depth. I felt a little stupid when I asked Nigel if there was any way we could know where exactly these came from. But his answer was fascinating. The endless numbers of security cameras in streets and shops around Ireland and the world can potentially provide us with a rough idea, as Nigel now explains. Before he does that, if you want to see more pictures of this, I have links in the show notes to a page from the National Museum's website. They have great high-res images of these meteorites. Nowadays, with meteorites, when they fall, they often go past security cameras in known points on the Earth's surface where they'll be caught on film at a certain point, traveling across the sky in a particular direction. And if you plot all of those together and point them back at the source... Um, you can certainly say they're coming from space. 
and you can point them in the general direction of their part of our solar system coming in to land. None of the Irish meteorites has landed in that time period um, the, or been seen and plotted in that way. The most recent one was in uh, 1999 in Lachlan Bridge in Carlow, and it was fairly small. There's small crumbs and uh, sort of fingernail-sized pieces of meteorite. But this very large lump from 1813, um, we know that it landed um, to the northeast of Adair Town at a place called um, Patrick's Well. And the crumbs that were part of the same shower sprinkled through the streets of Adair Town uh, a few minutes later. Now, given Leo Enright is actually talking at the History Summit on the moon landing, I was surprised that Nigel next took out an artefact directly relating to space exploration. I assumed that you'd have to go to the US, China or Russia to find artefacts like this, but the National Museum have items that were brought up to space and back again. For the last 250 years, we've entirely relied on space debris coming here and telling us the story about what's going on out in space in terms of physical materials. In the last decades in my lifetime, we've gone from putting up the first satellite to visiting the moon with people and visiting other bodies with imagery or occasionally landing on the surface, as has happened on Mars on several occasions. And sampling the rocks and the materials in those places has helped us to understand even more. But when you go to the moon, you don't find rocks that are made up of chondrules and the sort of things that are a meteorite is made from. You find very different rocks. And we have examples of that here because people have been to the moon. And one of the things that was done on Apollo missions was to collect rocks and bring them back for scientific analysis to understand how the moon works, what its relationship is to Earth, which in many ways is actually very similar chemically and in, in, has a lot of things in common. And also simply to gift pieces of the moon to every country in the world. And Ireland is on the list of countries that has been receiving material from the NASA expeditions since the earliest times. So we have a piece of moon rock here that was gifted to the museum um, when it arrived in Ireland on behalf of the nation. The National Museum was the logical place for it to end up. And so we have here in this box a piece of moon rock on a wooden plaque with a little Irish flag. And the Irish flag has been to the moon and back. That was actually brought up um, on the Apollo spacecraft to the moon. It would have orbited in a container along with flags of all of the rest of the countries of the world. So I like to think of it like the magician's sleeve, just eternally little silk flags, one for everybody, coming out of a very tightly packed container. But it was considered important enough to bring those to the moon and back. And they were mounted up on little plaques along with a centimeter cube of lunar basalt collected by the astronauts walking on the moon's surface, simply as a souvenir for everybody to tell them that this is the world's space mission. The most advanced countries, the most advanced technology, they didn't do this on their own. There was a big international team of people working with NASA to make this possible, and an international team of scientists from many, including uh, some from Europe that I've met, working on 
the science of the rocks that they brought back, trying to understand the chemistry and the structure of the minerals in the rocks. But this souvenir piece in the museum is uh, kept under wraps. It's quite valuable. It'd be very expensive to go to the moon and get a fresh one. And other, other countries have lost theirs. We lost the first one that we got in a fire. There was a fire in Dunsink Observatory and an Apollo 11 example. We have a replica of that. But that was actually lost and destroyed completely in a fire in Dunsink, which is on the edge of the M50 in Dublin now. And we still have this piece here. If you want to find out more about the moon landing, Leo Enright is talking at the Irish History Summit. You can get tickets, as I said, at irishhistorysummit.eventbrite.com. That talk is going to be fascinating. Leo is on the Board of Guardians of the School of Cosmic Physics at the Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies. He's a great communicator. As I say, you can find out more at the summit website. There's links in the show notes below. Now, after Nigel carefully returned the artefacts to the storage unit and locked them away safely again, we started to walk back through the warehouse. I have to say at this point, I was mesmerized, trying to fathom space exploration or something as old as the Brasky meteorite is difficult. But on that day, I didn't have much time to think about it. Later, I had set up a meeting with Brenda Malone, who works in the National Museum in Collins Barracks in the city centre. Now, this was once the Royal Barracks in Dublin, but today is one of the main National Museum campuses. I'm sure lots of you have visited the displays there, but they also keep a certain amount of artefacts in storage behind the scenes. When I arrived here, I knew it was going to be very different content from what Nigel had shown me. As curator of military and contemporary Irish history, Brenda works with things like arms, armour, flags, banners, things like that. It's a far way away from a meteorite that's 4,000 million years old. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now I met Brenda at the front desk in the museum and we walked through a few of the exhibits. Now in these rooms, the display cabinets and exhibitions masked the fact that you're actually walking through an old army barracks. However, we left these and then began to climb a few flights of stairs and we entered a room that had echoes of that vast warehouse I had been in earlier in the day, but it also showed clear signs of the building's original purpose and history. Away from the museum displays, you can see the old halls and stone archways of the military barracks. But here too were those rows and rows of storage cabinets that I'd seen in the huge warehouse. Each one was labelled with things like the 1916 Rising, 
1798 rebellion. Every step of the way, I wanted to stop and ask Brenda to open one up. But in rooms and places like this, I was beginning to realise you have to stay focused. There's simply too much to see in one day. And Brenda had actually picked out a few artefacts for me to look at. Now, first, let's introduce Brenda. Here she is talking about the building where she works. So we're in Collins Barracks. So Collins Barracks is often reputed to be the oldest purpose-built, longest-serving barracks in the world, which makes it quite special and uh, the kind of the natural home of the National Museum of Ireland. And we moved in and opened in about 1997, and we've been generally renovating areas and upgrading them and creating exhibitions ever since. Um, But where we are at the moment is in one of the stores that is behind the scenes. So at the moment, we're in the historical stores, um, is what we call it, but it actually holds everything from... Uh, early historical periods, so from the 1600s um, to all of our uniform collection, military history, um, but also historical, including Easter week and uh, things like coins and medals, stamps, things like that. Now, in Collins Barracks, we were focused on topics relating to the Irish History Summit. But given Brenda's expertise is in modern history, we turned to the 20th century. Now, Liz Gillis is talking about the Civil War particularly timely given this is a centenary of the outbreak of the conflict. We also have Dr. Brian Hanley from Trinity College Dublin and Dr. Sarah Ann Buckley from the National University of Ireland in Galway talking about Irish society in the years following independence. While Brian will look at the threats to the Irish Free State, Sarah Ann will be asking exactly how Catholic or Gaelic Ireland was in these years. You can see the full lineup at irishhistorysummit.eventbrite.com. But it was with these topics in mind that Brenda had selected some fascinating artefacts from the 20th century. We made our way to her workstation through what seemed like a warren of these storage units I've mentioned throughout the show. And when we got there, she had two shirts hanging on a clothes rack, one similar to what you might find in any clothing shop today. However, at first glance, the two garments seemed tattered and small and to be honest, not of much historic value or importance. It took me a few seconds to realise what exactly these were. If you've listened to the series Partisans from back in 2019, you'll remember I talked then about the blue shirts. They were a fascist paramilitary led by General Ono Duffy and modelled along the lines of the Nazi brown shirts or Mussolini's black shirts. What I was looking at here in the National Museum was an actual blue shirt. I'd never seen one before and it looked pretty different than what I expected. If you imagine, so for the listener at home, if you imagine pictures that you've seen of uh, the brown shirts, for example, and you can see that the waistline of the shirt is really quite high up, that's, it, it's very much the same pattern as that. So we've got a shirt that's in blue. They've generally got little patch pockets on each side. Um, the, waistline, the waistband, the one we're looking at here now, is, was owned by a man called Prendergast, and he died in Wexford at the age of 22 in 1938. Um, but you can see that it's almost like a, an elasticated waistband, almost. It's certainly rooted in. Um, other examples of the shirt that we've got are a, a more standard kind of waistband. So what we can tell from looking at the few examples that we have, and I'm not sure that these have ever been on display before. We will be putting them on display in the next few years as we move into the next phase, phase of exhibitions. But we can see that there, you know, there may have been a pattern, but not everybody stuck to it. Um, so people would have maybe had them made up themselves, uh, tailored to their own body shape, um, but sticking to a general look. 
Um, and generally, the the blue is very is quite the same, really. It's uh, when you open a press and you see our blue shirts and you see different colours, that might be a result of some fading and light fading on some of them. But it is quite a vibrant blue. Um, some of them come with a kind of a separate kind of almost like a cummerband belt. Um, the one that we're looking at here has a Fine Gael patch that would have been worn as a flash, not a flash, but worn through the shoulder strap at, at the top um, as a bit of an extra. But that, again, that's not particularly standard. It's certainly not what we have on all of them. But right next to it is a ladies blue shirt. Um, we don't have the name of the wearer of that, but you can see that it, again, it is, it's, well, it's obviously smaller. It's, it's obviously also smaller than you would probably think because people were really an awful lot smaller, even back in the 1930s. Um, and again, it's got the elasticated waistband. It's, it's very short up the body. It has uh, um, the military, the kind of uh, the, the fascist military look to it as well. So if you look at such shirts all across Europe, you will see that these are very much uh, all along the same pattern. Now, one of the talks that I'm particularly looking forward to at the summit is from Dr. Dieter Reinisch. Dieter is an Austrian historian, and he's going to be talking about the Nazis and their use of terror to maintain their rule. Again, you can find out more at the address. You know the drill at this stage. There's a link in the show notes below. But an Irish museum was not exactly where I was expecting to find artefacts relating to the Nazis, particularly given Ireland remained neutral in the Second World War. However, towards the end of my visit, Brenda took out what was one of the most incredible artefacts I think I've ever seen. It was a real privilege to see this. It was a photo album, much like an old photo album you might find in many Irish houses. But the pictures inside this had captured some of the most important events of the 20th century. You see, it belonged to a remarkable Irishman. I'll let Brenda explain. Yeah, we were very, very lucky recently. Um, a man called Albert Sutton uh, bequested his collection to us. And in this collection uh, was his photograph album. And this photograph album records Albert's service uh, during World War II, or at least certainly the tail end of the war. So it's really quite an incredible look at th those final months of the war and how um, how the, the Nazi forces were being pushed back across Europe. So um, just a little bit about Albert himself. Uh, he was uh, a leading aircraftsman. Um, so he came from Malahide Road in Clontarf. He was born in 1921. So at the beginning of World War II, he actually left his home in Clontarf without telling his parents. And uh, he travelled all the way up to Belfast and joined the RAF there. And from there he entered service. And I don't know too much about his, his early years of service, but this photograph album really uh, depicts very, very viscerally the, um, just what it was like in Europe in those, in those last times. And what we really see in this album is uh, not so much... Not so much battle, but certainly the aftermath and almost like and I've kind of said this before about the album, because it's, um, you, for example, you see in this picture here, you can see uh, some of the Allied forces trucks moving in and uh, you can see the population's response to them where they're all waving quite happily at them. Very glad to see these forces pushing back the Nazi forces. So this, this album covers Belgium, Holland, Germany and Denmark. The pictures catalogued this Dubliner's experiences during what were some of the most seminal moments of the Second World War. As Brenda explained, while they might not capture the heat of battle, 
The realities of war are evident in lots of the pictures. So then we move on to, to Brussels, but before that we're seeing in Belgium uh, some photographs of German prisoners burying their own dead. So there is actually a photograph here of uh, the bodies of German soldiers stacked up in a trench and the Germans, the remaining German soldiers doing the burying themselves. Sometimes the pages are just, it's almost like a sightseeing tourist album. Um, but then the next page, next time you turn the page, you can see a photograph of, uh, that's been labelled Collaborator. And it's it's quite a rushed photograph. It's it's some there's some blur to it, so I think it's been taken as he's passing by. But I believe that this is a woman who has had her hair shorn, um, and is also shirtless, topless. Now it, it could be a man. It's very very hard to tell, but um, certainly hair shearing was reserved for women in this. So that would give me the indication that this was a woman who has been labelled a collaborator and is being is being punished at this point. You can see there's there's you can sense the terror coming out of the figure in this photograph um, and the anger in the crowd around them. As we move on, there's photographs of German soldiers being rounded up and marched off. See this very blurry photograph here as they're marched off with their hands up with the very sarcastic label, the master race. The album is remarkable for lots of reasons, but what struck me was the fact that these pictures are unique. They are probably the only record of the specific events Albert captured. And Brenda went on to tell me how they're actually hoping to identify some of those in the pictures. For example, there's one with Albert beside Danish resistance fighters, which will be sent to Denmark. This is a great photograph. Um, Some of the boys with Danish underground men. So Danish resistance. Um, And we'll be sending these. This has been digitised at really high resolution recently. So uh, we will be dividing up the photographs um, and sending the images to the relevant museums in the relevant countries. But especially maybe this, there is a museum of the Danish resistance. And uh, so we'll be sending them that photograph. Maybe they'll even be able to name them at some point. That's the other thing about things like this. We will take things in, we, knowing that we maybe don't have the full information about it, but also knowing from experience that at some point, somebody will know something. Yeah. There's also a few humorous pictures of soldiers looking on the funny side of life during what was a very dark time. There's two photographs in the album that I particularly like. Um, and the first one is a photograph of, I think it says Vic and I. So one of them is Vic and I in Luftwaffe uniforms. So clearly in Kastrup, which Kastrup Airport had been a base for the, the Germans. So when they moved into the airport, there was a lot of, of items left behind by them. So clearly there was um, uh, Luftwaffe uniforms there available to them. So they dress up in it and you can see them here posing at a fence with a photograph, a framed photograph of Hitler. And the first photograph here, they're just looking at it and looking at the camera but in the second photograph you can see uh, what I think is Vic is holding up the photograph of Hitler so the camera can see it more closely and his his uh, his his friend here is making faces with his fingers uh, at it to disrespect the photograph of Hitler. Now before we continue with Brenda's interview I want to just flag the National Museum's website has lots of great content on it. I've links to it in the show notes below, as well as their socials. 
They have great content there, as I say, and Brendan now explains that you might actually be able to see this album we've been talking about on their website soon. But this is fully digitised, so um, I'm hoping to make it available either on the website because it, 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 it is an important resource. Now, before we meet our final guest, who will be of interest, particularly for Leaving Cert history teachers and students, I want to explain how you can join me at the summit this Saturday on January the 15th. As I said, the original idea was to broadcast it live from the National Museum in Collins Barracks. But given COVID is out of control at the moment, we've moved the entire event online. So no matter where you are in the world, you can tune into this event from the comfort of your own home. Attendees will also receive exclusive podcasts of the day's events afterwards so you can listen back at your own leisure. Again, you can find out how to buy tickets at the link in the show notes below. Now, to end today's show, I want to introduce the last guest. While the Irish History Summit is themed around the Leaving Cert exams, you don't need to be a student or a teacher to enjoy the day. All history fans will really have a great day. But we do have one seminar towards the end of the event that is aimed at students and history teachers. Through the course of the day, we have really top quality history talks, but we also wanted to make sure students and teachers are best placed to use this information when it comes to exam time. With this in mind, we have one of Ireland's leading experts when it comes to the nuts and bolts of sitting the Leaving Cert History exam, Patrick Hickey. Now, Patrick is a Leaving Cert History examiner, and while the speakers at the summit will provide you with unique perspectives on history, Patrick will be using his experience to tell students how they can maximise marks in the exams. As I said, if you're a Leaving Cert history teacher or student, Patrick's talk is unmissable. I had a quick chat with Patrick and asked him to give you a flavour of what you can expect. Hi, uh, my name is Patrick Hickey and I suppose I'm best known as the LC history tutor on social media. I'm a teacher with uh, nearly 25 years. Uh, for most of those, I've been a, a state examiner. Um, I suppose for the last 12 years, I have marked uh, Leaving Cert History. And actually, 2021 was my first time marking the Leaving Cert exam online. Given his years of experience correcting Leaving Cert History exams, Patrick's knowledge is, as he says himself, the inside track. So there's an awful lot of teachers out there that don't actually have the inside track when it comes to marking exam papers. No, of course, they go to the marking scheme. You know, that's a big help. But I suppose nothing beats actually marking the paper, having that inside track. And I suppose that's what I'm about. I think my, my tagline is uh, I'm here to take the mystery out of leaving such history. And I've been doing that now for the, for the last few years. There's simple stuff like this. That marking scheme was designed maybe 15, 16 years ago. Um, and I suppose it was a time before YouTube, before podcasts. And, you know, uh, the only type of source it actually mentions are book sources. And I suppose when I started this, every student would have used three books, you know. Uh, but I suppose when it comes to actually citing online sources, uh, you would have no idea from looking at the marking scheme alone, you know. Um, I suppose it's only when you mark uh, that, as I do, you know, that, you know, an online source, you have to give the full URL. You have to give the access date. Whatever date you access that source, uh, that's how you get the extra mark there. And I tell you the truth, Finn, it just drives me berserk, you know, that when I mark the outline plan, which should be a standard 15 out of 15 all the time, uh, people are, are losing one, two, three marks there, you know, just because they don't know. This is what you're essentially going to get from his talk. 
Now, Finn, I suppose my talk is going to be very, very focused on the do's and don'ts of the leaving stuff exam. You know, what examiners like myself are looking for uh, right across uh, the whole exam from the RSR to the DBQ and uh, the, 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 the essays, you know, because I suppose there are certain things examiners like myself are looking for, you know, like there's certain little buttons you need to be pressing as a student or if you're a teacher encouraging your students to press in order to, to max uh, your CM and your OE marks. Okay, that's where I'm going to leave it for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be chairing the summit on Saturday, so I'll hopefully see you then. Don't forget to get your tickets at irishhistorysummit.eventbrite.com. Until then, Sloan. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.